I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi, I'm Madigan, and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Good morning, star shines. The earth says hello. Hello, my lovely people. How are you doing today? I'm doing really, really well. I wish that I could tell you all about the amazing day that I had yesterday, but I can't. I have to keep it a secret, and it's really, really lame. But I can say that I had such an amazing day, I guess, professionally yesterday, and um, I'm feeling good. But, you know, I think I'm feeling a sense of imposter syndrome for the first time in my life. And uh, it feels a little bit strange, but sorry to be teasing you all right now by talking about my feelings and not telling you what's going on. But I'm very, very excited. And I'm very excited to be sharing more and more with you in the future about what's going on in my life, because I hate keeping secrets. (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right. This is kind of take two, although I kept the beginning of that. Because, of course, as soon as I go to sit down to record this episode, which is late, they start doing yard work outside, right outside my window, which is really fun. And I assume that you all don't want to hear the sound of weed whackers and lawnmowers. So I decided to take a little bit of a break. And I think we're going to be okay. 
So let's pick it up from here. All right. Well, like I was talking about, I had a lot of really exciting things going on this week. And one of the things that I was working a lot, a lot, a lot on was part two of Still Learning by India Oxenberg, which is the book that I'm covering for the Angry Feminist Book Club this month. I had like three hours left of the audiobook to listen to and take notes on the other day. And I was like, sweet. So like four or five hours max, I'm going to listen and take my notes and then I'm going to record I'll edit it that night. It'll be up by, you know, Thursday morning or whatever. And then I had a completely packed day yesterday. Like I didn't even have a second for wiggle room until the very, very evening and I was dead to the world. So I was like, all right, I've got all of this figured out. Well, (laughs) instead of it taking four or five hours for me just to take the notes, it ended up taking me closer to 10. Um, Literally like max left for work, came home, we had dinner and I was still working on the notes and it ended up being more than 60 pages. And then I sat down to record and it was almost two hours worth of audio. Now I do do a lot of editing just because I'm alone. So there are, you know, pauses for me to breathe and Sometimes when I talk for a really long time, my lips start to jumble up and I'll start messing up my words a little bit and things like that. So it kind of will end up taking like double the time of the audio recording for me to edit. So (laughs) I was dead. I was so tired. I had worked for like over 13 hours straight that day and I just couldn't edit any longer. And I'm still working on that editing now because yesterday, like I said, was completely jam-packed in my schedule so I couldn't really do much of the things that I wanted to get done unfortunately and I had to kind of like meet a lot of deadlines and things like that but today I decided to prioritize the mini episode for this morning even though it's late and then I am going to finish editing that Patreon episode and I promise you it is going to be worth the wait. I really really took so much time clearly on these notes. I am so moved and fascinated by my friend India's story. And because I know her and I've had so many conversations with her, there's more that I can add to the conversation about this book and things like that. So if you've listened to the interview with India and you're not part of the book club yet, I really do recommend at least jumping on the Patreon to be part of this whole still learning journey because it's been really, really interesting for me. It's been something that I've enjoyed, you know, messaging India about and talking with her about. And I think it's going to be a really wonderful part three when I have her on Patreon there to answer any of your questions. And so far, I don't have many questions for her. And of course, I have many things that I want to bring up and discuss with her. But I really, really want to know what an outsider's perspective you all want her to explain to you. I feel like when I read her book and listened to it for the first time, I already had an understanding about what Nexium was. I already had a lot of understanding about cults and psychological manipulation and how this works. So maybe for someone who isn't as knowledgeable about the subject, you would have some different reactions to her story than I would. And I really, really am curious to know about all of your questions and your responses to this book. So if you want to jump on board, I would absolutely love it. Go to patreon.com slash angry neighborhood feminist and join the angry feminist book club at the $5 level. There is going to be a text post on that page where I am hoping to kind of like conjoin all of the questions and to be able to refer to that when I do that interview. 
And lastly, if you want to join in on even more fun, you can join the $8 Feminist Faves tier on Patreon, where you will get all of these episodes ad-free and more and more bonus content will be added in the future, especially because I edit some stuff out. So maybe Patreon, you'll get some little additional things. I'm also thinking that, you know, Patreon will start to hear more and more of my personal stories, things that I maybe wouldn't necessarily share on the broader feed. Uh, Y'all are more like my best friends, my family. So I'm able to kind of like let my guard down and let my hair loose and kind of, you know, share all my deep, dark secrets with you all. So definitely, definitely, definitely get involved there. All right. You are done listening to me ramble on and on and on. Let's get into this week's news topics. I wanted to start out with a bit of an update about Jordan Neely's killer, Daniel Penny, and he has now been arrested. He was charged with second-degree manslaughter after holding the unhoused and desperate Jordan Neely in a headlock for 15 minutes on a New York City subway. So I didn't realize that you didn't have to enter a plea when you were arrested and charged with things, but apparently you don't have to because this person did not enter a plea of guilty or not guilty, and he was released on a $100,000 bond. He also had to turn in his passport, and he has been forbidden from leaving the state of New York. Manhattan's DA's office said in their statement after the arrest, Jordan Neely should still be alive today, and my thoughts continue to be with his family and loved ones as they mourn his loss during this extremely painful time. Much like Kyle Rittenhouse, and I hate to even say his name, this killer has now become some sort of a right-wing hero. There's been a fundraiser for his defense set up by his legal team on a Christian version of GoFundMe called Give, Send, Go, which is popular with the right, which reached 370000 by the time he was arrested. Now it has reached more than $2.3 million. Most of this money is thanks to Kid Rock, who donated $5,000 and has called Penny a hero. The fundraising page reads, Daniel Penny is a 24-year-old college student and decorated Marine veteran facing criminal investigations stemming from his protecting individuals on an NYC subway train from an assailant who later died. What a way to spin it. This is very similar to how the media and the police and whoever tried to really spin George Floyd's murder as well. They were like, well, he didn't die because Derek Chauvin had his knee on his neck for nine minutes. He had another heart problem and died later in the hospital. Well, yes, but clearly the violent act was the reason for all of these other things happening, which means that the violent act was the reason for his death. If Jordan Neely had not been held in a chokehold for 15 minutes, he most likely would not have died later on. This is the way that the right and the defense or whoever else is on Penny's side is able to manipulate the minds of these people into thinking that this person isn't actually a violent, racist fucking asshole and a murderer. He is not a hero. He is a coward. These things happen on the New York City subway trains all the time. And I'm not saying it's right because the people causing the quote unquote trouble usually just lack the help and resources along with kindness that they need to get better. Most others riding on the subway usually just keep their heads down anyways. 
And if you really don't feel unsafe, subways also make many, many stops. And there is subway security and measures that have been created for circumstances such as this. Jordan Neely needed help. Yes, maybe he was being scary, but instead of choking him for 15 minutes, why didn't you subdue him? Wait until the next stop, then grab one of the many police officers manning the subway stations. Why did you have to kill him? Do you hate black people? Do you look down on the unhoused? Do you think the life of someone mentally unwell is less deserving than your own? This was not some vigilante justice he played out. This was anger and murder. And he deserves to be held accountable. I don't know if he's going to be or not. I'm somewhat upset by the charge, but I do understand why they consider it manslaughter because it wasn't necessarily premeditated. Although I would consider the fact that he held him for 15 minutes to be premeditated because at any point during that time, he could have decided to change his mind and go in a different direction. I don't know. This whole situation makes me feel so sad and it brings up so many important issues. It brings up the issue of racism in this country. It brings up how we treat our mentally ill people in this country. And it also brings out how we have been treating the unhoused. And always they have been treated terribly, but especially since the pandemic, the number of unhoused people has risen so much and the resources are just not there. They're just not. And it's so strange that especially in big cities, you do become so desensitized to the pain of other people. I see unhoused people walking up and down my neighborhood all the time. There's one woman who has this big shopping cart and literally just goes to each dumpster at each apartment complex, checking to see if they're unlocked. And then she opens it up and dives right in. And this lady has scared the crap out of me so many times. Like she, it seems so nice. Like one of my neighbors gives her a lot of recyclables and things like that. But there have been a few times where I've gone to either walk out to the dumpster or out to my car, which is parked right by it. And then all of a sudden I'll just see a head pop out and it makes me feel like I'm in a horror movie. But she's not doing anything to hurt anybody. It's not a big deal. And I just, I feel for her. I don't have the wealth or the resources to be able to help her in any way. But it is sad that you do become a little bit desensitized. And maybe not, maybe desensitized isn't the right word. But, but you can get really used to seeing pain around you. And I think when someone gets really used to that, it's easy for people who are more hateful or don't care, or who are less kind to then turn that into feeling like those people are less than human. All right, I apologize if you heard a little bit of lawn mowing in that last little portion, but I refused to let the lawn mower rain on my parade and I had to finish getting my thought out. I just paused again. I am having a morning, y'all. This is fun. Um, but that's all I really wanted to say on the first topic. And this next thing that I wanted to talk about just popped up on my Instagram feed this morning, and it was something that I was discussing with Max. Let's talk some sports and some homophobia, shall we? All right. Well, my team, my boys, the L.A. Dodgers have truly let me down, and I'm ready to boycott. The Los Angeles Dodgers team has uninvited a satirical LGBTQ plus group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to the team's annual Pride Night after they received opposition from conservative Catholic groups feeling that the group mocked the Catholic Church. And to that I say, would that really be so bad? The Catholic Church is fucked. 
The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence first appeared in San Francisco in 1979 in the Castro District, which you all should remember from me discussing Harvey Milk in the past. It's also a huge part of LGBTQ history. In the form of three men wearing nun outfits, it was a whimsical protest over local and LGBTQ plus issues. But over the decades, it's grown into a number of loosely organized chapters around the world that engage in charitable and protest work. The group's mission statement says it's a nonprofit that is devoted to community service, ministry, and outreach to those on the edges and to promoting human rights, respect for diversity, and spiritual enlightenment. Doesn't that sound pretty nice? They say, we use humor and irreverent wit to expose the forces of bigotry, complacency, and guilt that chain the human spirit. I love that. The charity protest and performance group was to receive the team's Community Hero Award in a ceremony during the 10th annual event before the June 16th game against the San Francisco Giants for Pride Night. However, the Dodgers made this statement on Wednesday night. Given the strong feelings of people who have been offended by the sisters' inclusion in our evening, and in an effort to not distract from the great benefits that we have seen over the years of Pride Night, we are deciding to remove them from this year's group of honorees. In a letter to Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred, U.S. Senator Marco Rubio said the sisters dress in lewd imitations of nuns. He writes, do you believe that the Los Angeles Dodgers are being inclusive and welcoming to everyone by giving an award to a group of gay and transgender drag performers that intentionally mocks and degrades Christians? And not only Christians, but nuns who devote their lives to serving others. Oh my God. I wish that I could just like smack my head on the table and this was a visual medium and you could see how frustrated that statement makes me because... Are you kidding me? Like, why do we hold these religious figures to such a fucking high standard? Has religion truly brainwashed us so much to believe that these nuns and these other human beings, such as priests, are anything but that? Human beings? They're people. They are not above us. They are not better. And honestly, it's a bunch of bullshit believing that they're more holy too. I've met so many fucking hateful nuns and priests and bishops and so on and so forth that you have no right to be stating any of that or to be placing nuns above that of a minority group. Go fuck yourself. Also, you're fucking missing the point. And all of this to me just points back to the fact that the right is creating this whole vendetta against drag culture and against the LGBTQ community right now. And they are focusing so much on this. And I promise you, the only reason they are focusing so much on this is not because they care about the children or because they care about the world or whatever and actually think that these people are dangerous. They're doing this because they want to distract you from the many, many things that they are not actually talking about in this party, mainly gun control laws. And it fucking pisses me off. We have so many mass shootings in this country. There are so many people dying. And just like when I was talking about Jordan Neely, there are so many things that are more important in this world than focusing on a community that brings nothing but happiness, joy, and inclusivity to so many people's lives. Why are you focusing so much on something that is so harmless when we are not focusing on the fact that children are dying every single fucking day because you care more about your stupid guns than about children? 
Why are we focusing on a stupid fucking baseball game and people who are having fun and and using satirical humor to poke fun at the way maybe that the Catholic Church has treated their community in the past? Who fucking cares? Get off your high fucking horse. <sighs> okay, I need to breathe. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence came out on Thursday to make clear that the group wasn't anti-Catholic, and its members were offended and outraged by the Dodgers' decision, and obviously so am I. They said, the Dodgers capitulated in response to hateful and misleading information from people outside their community. Why are these big companies and organizations so afraid to support the LGBTQ community and stepping on the toes of homophobes? We should be reveling in making these hateful people squirm and making them uncomfortable. It isn't the 1950s anymore where the gay community will hide away in shame. They're here and they're not going anywhere. You are not erasing their existence by not allowing members of the community into your pride night. 
Instead, you are sending a loud message that they are not allowed to be present and that they must be pushed aside. Shame on you, Dodgers. All right, I promised you all on Instagram that this would be a topic this week, and uh, I'm going to unzip my hoodie right now and take it off because it's getting hot in here. I feel another rant coming on, maybe. Whew, buckle up, get ready. Now, my music taste does not allow for the 1975 to be anywhere on my radar, but I have, of course, heard of them before and recognized Matt Healy's face when the media released the rumor that he and Taylor Swift were dating. I did not know that this man was such a piece of shit. Since the announcement, many of her fans have been shocked at her choice of partner due to Maddie's incredibly problematic behavior. I'm going to go over some of this behavior, which includes racism and misogyny. But first, I want to say, Taylor, what are you thinking? A few months ago in January of 2023, Healy appeared on the podcast The Adam Friedland Show, which I've never heard of where he mentioned that he tried to send a message to Chinese-American rapper Ice Spice, and the host referred to the rapper with a racist nickname. Here's a little audio clip that I found on Instagram of Ice Spice talking about her music taste, and then a clip from this podcast episode. And a quick trigger warning, what he has to say is incredibly misogynistic and racist. Alternative music. I feel like a lot of people wouldn't expect that. Yeah, shout out Coldplay, the 1975, obsessed with them. Healy then began encouraging the podcast host to do an impression of Japanese people working in concentration camps. He can be heard laughing hysterically during this terrible bit. The podcast episode was so bad that it was removed from all platforms except YouTube. The British singer Youngblood called him out in a tweet saying, Love listening to three privileged white dudes sit around and objectify a young black female artist who's blowing up. Welcome to your 30s, I guess. Hey, not all 30-somethings, guy. In response to Youngblood, Healy posted a video mocking his northern accent and impersonating him saying, God, I, Guys, I'm so angry because someone's blown themselves up in, in, the, uh, in the Ukraine and... Uh, we're, I'm not, we're not going to stand for that because we're the children, the, the, the underrated youth generation, and that's what we stand for. Well, I, I don't, um, I don't stand for stuff. I stand against stuff. I don't. It's not a particular. It's not a particular thing that I stand for. I just stand against stuff, and it, it tends to be the most morally obvious stuff. You know, like, that every, the everyone, that everyone stands for f- the, f- the patriarchy. Cute. Eventually, I don't know if it was his PR team or what, but he made kind of an apology on stage saying, I just feel a bit bad and I'm kind of a bit sorry I've offended you. He went on. 
Ice Spice, I'm sorry. It's not because I'm annoyed that my joking got misconstrued. It's because I don't want Ice Spice to think I'm a dick. I love you, Ice Spice. I'm so sorry. That's not an apology. You are kind of sorry and feel a bit bad? Fuck off. In the same month, he explained why he doesn't want to be a bad person anymore. He says, it's because everything happens in eras. Such a Taylor Swift thing. You have that in common. He reportedly explained of his decision, the 1975 is a very eras band. The era of me being a fucking arsehole is coming to an end. I've had enough, he continued. I perform all the time and it's my job and I love doing this, but I can't perform off the stage anymore as I just want to be a bloke. After the murder of George Floyd, Healy took to Twitter to post about it along with his song, Love It If We Made It, which contains some social commentary about culture wars. The tweet read, if you truly believe all lives matter, you need to stop facilitating the end of black ones. Now, I don't really think that the text was necessarily all that bad, but the fact that he added his song to it just doesn't make any sense to me. This received major backlash as it looks like, and is, a white man promoting himself and profiting off of the tragic murder of a black man. On top of that, in the song, there is a lyric that says, Thank you, Kanye. Very cool. Now, this was written a long time ago, before all the anti-Semitic stuff started coming out, but I feel like there was also a lot of other problematic stuff about Kanye at that time, so I don't know why he would be celebrating him in that way. But then while performing this song on stage recently in January 2023, after Kanye had been largely canceled by most of the world, he sang the line and added a Nazi salute while marching in place. That same month, he posted a screenshot of the List of Jews Wikipedia page to his Instagram story, which was incredibly unsettling to many, as well as myself. In another show a few months ago, Healy made it clear that he hadn't learned from his problematic behavior. While on stage, he teased that he was about to go on a racist rant, saying, I don't think it's a racist thing to say, before his bandmates thankfully cut him off and began playing into the next song. He has also come under scrutiny lately for kissing unsuspecting women in the crowd and sucking their fingers. I would really love to do an episode sometime about rape culture and rock and roll and music in and in the music industry and things like that because it is really interesting how musicians view specifically their female fans throughout history and there's some really upsetting stories. Let's take it back a few years to 2016, where he left people feeling that he had a messiah complex after an interview with The Guardian. In the interview, he said, There is an element of feeling a bit like the messiah. Well, not somebody who's here to save humanity, but somebody for whom the world does truly revolve around them. Dude, I didn't even know who you were. In 2019, Healy said that religious people should be kind of ashamed of themselves before explaining that he had no rights as an atheist. This reminds me of people saying that we need a straight pride march. No, we don't. When referencing Islam specifically, Maddie said, Religious people are always allowed to be offended. Oh, we're offended by this. I'm offended by that. I have to get up every day and read something abhorrent that's happened in the name of religion, and I never get a day. I never get a day where I'm allowed to be offended. Where are my rights as an atheist? Wah, 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 wah. Dude, I'm not necessarily an atheist, but I do consider myself to be agnostic, yet I can still recognize the fact that there is also religious persecution and there are harms that are being perpetrated in the world in the name of religion at the same time. It's called nuance. And you do have a day. It's every fucking day. And I don't know. Google it. Maybe there is an atheist day that you can start to celebrate. I don't give a shit. 
And this isn't the only time that he has been Islamophobic as well. He once posted a screenshot of a tweet which read, you start dating a Muslim girl, then boom. Ugh, why did I even say that out loud? Fuck you. Somehow, he has always referred to himself as a feminist through all of this, but his behavior would prove otherwise. Years ago, in an interview with two young women, he admitted to being stunned that women who dressed as well as them could ask such good, hard-hitting questions. He said, quite heavy questions for girls dressed like you. When one of the women said that they were a little bit offended by that remark, he argued, you're like a pretty girl. I'm going to have certain stereotypes. What the fuck? Though there have been many images objectifying women in the band's music videos, Healy defends it saying that it is always done in an ironic way, which apparently makes it okay. Taylor Swift herself has been mentioned in an unfavorable light by Healy in the past. Apparently, they were briefly linked years ago, and he must have been asked if they were dating. He responded that she wasn't a big impact on his life, and then ranted that, quote, If I had properly gone out with Taylor Swift, the first thing I would have thought was, Fucking hell, I am not being Taylor Swift's boyfriend. You know, fuck that. That's also a man thing, a demasculating, emasculating thing. And comparing it to where she came with her ex, Joe Alwyn, this all seems really confusing. Some of you may even be wondering, what's the big deal? Why does it matter who Taylor Swift is dating? Why should I care? Well, the reason that I think it's important to discuss is because Taylor has such an amazing influence on other people. I mean, there was even a joke recently where she was in the audience for some awards ceremony that Trevor Noah was hosting, and he was talking about the ridiculous price of eggs and how Swifties can do anything. So he was like, Taylor, what are the Swifties going to do about the price of eggs? And she was like, they'll take care of it. And then literally within like a week, the price of eggs dropped. So if we're going to use that as a frame of reference. She has a lot of sway and power over everyday people and over a lot of other people as well. And she does set a precedent whether she likes it or not. I know she's a human being. She's allowed to make these mistakes, but her mistakes being in the public eye as big as she is do have an effect on our society and culture. We don't really know a whole lot about Taylor personally, especially in the last few years as she's become more and more secretive, but she also spills a lot of tea in each of her songs. And it really seems like Joe was someone that accepted her for who she was and loved her. That doesn't mean that the relationship was right for her and it was okay that they ended it. But it doesn't make sense to me to go from someone who makes you feel so safe and that really put you in a very, very positive light to go to someone like this, especially when you've had the reputation that you've had in the past. Max and I are friends with some people who have worked with Joe, and they've had nothing but amazing things to say about him and his character. How could Taylor go from someone who truly seemed to respect her to this actual piece of shit? Also, where is her publicist and the rest of her team telling her this is a bad idea? You have decided to be with someone who has publicly said that they would never want to be with you. You are with someone who defended your enemy, Kanye West, and his anti-Semitic beliefs. Taylor, you yourself used to be hailed as the Aryan princess before you finally came forward with your political beliefs. Aligning herself with this person makes me not want to listen to her music or support her in any way anymore. I've always had complicated feelings about her, but the more I learn about her recent choices, I don't think I can get behind her anymore. I was once the nanny for a friend of Taylor's, and I'd met her a few times. She was really nice, so sweet, and paid attention to me even when she had no reason to as the help. She was also very private and secretive, so I would do my best to respect that and let her be comfortable spending time in her friend's house. She and her friend had a falling out shortly after I met her the second time, and I don't think they've mended this relationship. 
The reason it fell through was because my boss was a drug addict and Taylor couldn't be around that. So where are those good choices now? Why are you choosing someone who isn't just unhealthy for you as a person, but for your career? Taylor is being considered a, quote, complicit white female, a nickname that has followed her around for many years until recently. Taylor has long been, in my opinion, the definition of white feminism, which in my definition means that you're a quote-unquote feminist who only cares about the problems that affect you as a privileged white person. This is something I not only work on not being, but I don't even fully understand it. How can a white woman like myself feel so bad for herself when black trans women are being killed at staggering amounts? Black men are being killed indiscriminately because of their unfair perception of danger. There are young girls in parts of the world and even in the United States still today who are forced into marriages and abusive situations. Sex trafficking exists. Child abuse exists. Islamophobia exists. And no one cares about your stupid little white girl problems, Taylor. Take a goddamn seat. I also wanted to mention another artist briefly who has been seen with Maddie Healy and Taylor Swift a lot lately, and that is Phoebe Bridgers. And the fact that she would be okay with Maddie Healy is also really concerning to me. She was one of the people that really stood up against Ryan Adams. He had abused her and so many other young musicians, including Mandy Moore as well, who was married to him. And Phoebe Bridgers was somebody who was very public about standing up against this sexual assault and this behavior. So the fact that she would also be spending time with Maddie Healy, which in my opinion kind of like shows her approval of him in a lot of ways, and it just doesn't make any sense. And Max is a fan of Phoebe Bridgers, and we were talking about this, and he said that it really made him feel upset too. And he was like, well, I guess when it doesn't happen to you, you just don't care. So maybe Phoebe's just as bad as Taylor. I don't know. Ooh, I was fired up in this episode. I like it. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. If there are any more things that you want me to discuss that I missed in next week's episode, please go ahead and email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at angryneighborhoodfeminist. I do want to make it a little bit more known that I do tend to check my Instagram messages more than I check my emails. Apologies for that. I'm trying to get better about it. I've already given you the whole spiel about Patreon. I really think that you should give it a try. It's been so much fun. And now there's a few episodes that are kind of in the backlog as well. So I think you'll have like five hours, six hours of content, things to listen to that you've never heard before. So give it a try. See if you like it. And the other way that you can really support me is by going over to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star review with a quick sentence about why you enjoy the show and also rating the show on Spotify. Thank you so much to everyone who has done so, but if you haven't done it yet, please do. It really, really means a lot to me personally, but even more to me professionally. So thank you. All right, that is everything I have for you today. With all of that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.